0: There it is, that bass crashes in, you know it's time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so grateful you've chosen to tune into DLC. Hey, are you stuck in traffic? Are you on a commute? Are you working out? Are you one of our geeks and sneaks using us to power you through a run? We're going to be with you for 90 plus minutes in your ear holes, helping you out, because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, Completely free, and that's thanks to our sponsor this week, Squarespace. Squarespace—they made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about gaming in its many forms: games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two n's and one t, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis, the guy. Would never survive Hell in a Cell with Taker, Mr. Christian spicer Hello, Christian.
1: You, no one will survive. You can't. I mean, that's not a flaw. I mean, that's just being a mere mortal.
0: Well, Brock. Brock came out triumphant. Spoilers for Hell in a Cell last night, but Brock came out triumphant.
1: Yeah. Well, again, I don't feel bad about not living up to the standard set by Brock. Brock Life. <laughs> that's
0: know. true. Brock Life, baby. Um, we have an awesome show this week. I'm so excited. DLC is always your downloadable Canada, your downloadable uh, Christian, but this week. Oh, we're excited because DLC once again stands for Dedicated Let's Player and Columnist. Because we have Friend of the Show and Steam Friend, Senior Editor at Polygon, Mr. C- Phil Kohler. Phil, welcome back, buddy. Hello, thank you for having me again. Yeah, man, it's been too long. It has Christian, I think you long. could take. I think you could take Undertaker. He's old. He's old
1: now. Let me introduce a new permanent co-host, replacing Jeff Canada <laughs> Because, of, because of
0: Christian's sad death at the hands of The Undertaker.
1: <laughs> Aww. He uh, gets all of us, Jeff, at one point. He gets all yeah, of us. Yeah,
0: eventually. That's a good point. Mm, kind of sad. Um, guys, I'm excited. There's not a ton of news this week, but oh my gosh, there's some great games to talk about during the playlist segment. But before that, we do need to talk about the story of the week, so let's get to that right now. Story of the week it's the story on the week. Story of the week gets the story of the week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag on Twitter, that's DLC S O T W, or by visiting our subreddit at five by five dlc.reddit.com Awesome submissions this week. Thank you all for your participation. We appreciate it. You can also send us uh, comments and suggestions uh, at our Gmail, which is dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We'll work some of those into the show this week as well because we got a lot of good stuff this week. Uh, Phil, as our guest, you have first pick of stories. So, uh, what do you consider your story of the week this week? Uh, my story of the week is. Uh... Do I have to go off of the list that you gave me? Absolutely not. not. No, Can I pick you, you work at, at all? a you work at a gaming news site, so you're more connected than than we are. So uh,
2: I don't know about connected, but I, I do spend a lot of my time uh, reading video game stories. I, I'm really interested in talking about and and the thing that that's been kind of on my mind lately is: uh, Have you guys seen what's going on with Payday Two
0: lately? Yes, uh, a lot of controversy with Payday Two, uh, and their uh, their use of paid DLC content. Is that what you're talking about?
2: Yeah. So payday two, you know, it's a, a uh, co-op focused uh, bank robbing game. You play as these people heisting banks um, and then doing other heists as well. Uh, And they've always had a very dedicated community. Um, The first payday kind of built that up. Um, They released a ton of DLC for the first payday. And then they've done the same for payday 2, both free and paid DLC. Um, Once a year, they do a thing called crime fest where mm-hmm. they put out a whole bunch of uh a bunch of like cool free bonuses for their fans and then usually introduce some paid DLC as well. Uh, but this year they surprised fans during CrimeFest by introducing microtransactions to the game. Mhm. Uh, they introduced the ability to get uh you could when you win a match in Payday 2 when you when you complete a map you get uh loot for winning. Mm-hmm. Um, and they introduced the ability to get safes as the as loot. Um, and these safes can have new guns in them. They can have new skins for your currently existing guns, etc. Um, mm-hmm. But in order to open the safes, you have to have a drill. And in order to get a drill, you have to pay, like, a $1.99 or whatever it is.
0: I, I, w- I would love it to be, like, in order to get a drill, you have to get... A membership pass to Home Depot. In order to get a membership pass to Home Depot, you have uh-huh. to get a driver's license. In order to get a driver's license, you have to pass a test. In order to take the test, mm-hmm. you have to spend mm-hmm. real human money. Exactly. <laughs> it should be like That's this a- big Rube Goldberg machine that leads back to your wallet. Uh, so actually the drills are two
2: fifty each. Oh, man. That's kind of crazy. That's kind of a lot. Uh... But yeah, so that's that's pretty ridiculous. The fans were very unhappy and and sort of voiced that, and then the uh developers of payday two did an AMA on Reddit and basically
0: said, Shrug. Hmm.
2: It's making us money.
0: So is this uh is this the kind of thing that wouldn't have been such a big deal if it had been there from the start? Is it the fact that the game now just sort of added uh you know, microtransactions to the mix that makes people upset. It's like, it hasn't been like this and now it changes what we're upset about? That's definitely part of it. I think there's a a number of things that they did wrong here. Part of it is that it wasn't there from the start. They gave a
2: lot of interviews prior to the game coming out where they've very directly said, we will never have microtransactions. Yikes. Um, So they're going back on their word. They didn't prepare the fans at all. You know, I think if they had kind of prepared people a little bit, been like, hey, we're thinking about this. Maybe we're trying to figure out the right way to do it. Um and then the the biggest thing is the skins and the stuff that you can unlock with these safes actually affect the stats of the guns. Oh um so it's not just cosmetic stuff. Oh um boy. if it if it was just like, hey, you can get a skin that makes your gun look cool, you know, that's one thing. But the fact that it's like, hey, you can get a skin that makes your gun look cool and it has plus four to damage,
0: um, that that I think is making people a little bit more upset. Wow, uh, that is that is pretty rough. It seems like it seems like this game has always been has always lived and died on its community, and to sort of treat the community that way, it feels really callous. Um, Christian, yeah, it's, what's, it's, it's the reaction's been very very poor. Certainly, wow. Christian, what's your take on this?
1: Well, I mean, Phil, I don't want to play the role of corrector here, but I mean, I think technically in those interviews when they said. Um, we will never have microtransactions. They were being accurate because they are the developers of the game and they will never have to pay any microtransactions. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually them rubbing it in the community's face that we, yeah.
0: it was italicized. The we was italicized. <laughs> People didn't see that.
1: Right. Exactly. It was lost in translation. Out of context. Yeah.
0: I, I,
2: you know, that's a, that's a clever trick. <laughs> well played overkill studios. They're,
1: you know, they're professionals. Um, it, it's, the lesson here is never say never. Taylor Swift, are you listening? Jake is a pretty good guy. Answer his calls. Um, But don't do those interviews where you, you put that flag in the ground and say we will never do anything. That is always, always Absolutely. a dumb idea. The second lesson is we still haven't figured this out. This being making money off of these big video games that are community driven. Because everybody loves the idea of this monster game that evolves and changes over years and is the only game you ever need to play, and then everybody hates the idea of paying for it. Um, in various various forms, people hate the way of paying for it, and I'm one of those people. I, li- I like holding on to my money, and microtransactions feels dirty and cheap, and a $60 box product seems like the way to go because that's what we're used to, but then again, I paid, what, 75 or $80 for Street Fighter Two on the super nest years ago and that's a tiny game compared to what we're getting for 60 dollars now so i mean jeff i think you need to be the voice of reason and say how do you handle this situation like what's the what's the way to do it
0: well i think we've seen the template uh that seems to be most palatable to an audience which is not it seems not what they're doing a be very upfront. All throughout the entire process and be clear with what's going to cost money and what's not going to cost money. Don't have anything that costs money actually affect a multiplayer game. Um, it sounds like these are, as Phil said, are going to be not just cosmetic. They are actually going to be you know, pay-to-win type potential situations. Yeah, uh, I mean, which... if, if you look at like the thing that it got compared to a lot by the angry community is they're like, oh, you're turning the game into
2: Counter-Strike. You're mm-hmm. turning it into CSGO. But if you look at CS:GO, the big difference is everything that you're that you can pay money to unlock in CS:GO
0: is is cosmetic. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big deal. I think I think people dig that. Like I certainly do. I've I've spent a lot of my real money on cosmetic stuff in Heroes of the Storm. I never thought I'd be that guy, but when you really care about a game, yeah, it's fun to to bling out your your avatar. Uh, And I think people do spend for that. Not everybody, but enough people that these, these business models seem to work. But when you get into a space where it's like, well, pay me extra dollars and you get the better weapon that, that turns people off because you just feel like, well, I can't win unless you, you know, unless I pay you.
1: But what if you can win? I mean, it's kind of, I know it's different in a multiplayer space and I feel horrible being the person playing devil's advocate, which to be clear, I am playing. (laughs) Like I, (laughs) I agree with you guys as a gamer. However, is it, a multiplayer equivalent of the EA Need for Speed car unlock, where, you know, you're able to get all the best cars if you pay $19 right now, or you can grind through it. I mean, are the players of this game that aren't willing to spend to get these drills, to open these safes, at a permanent disadvantage, or you're able to grind and level up your character, just not as quickly as someone who's dropping two fifty a drill or whatever? So they did, uh, th- that's a
2: really good question. They did actually... Um they made one concession this weekend, uh, which is, to my understanding, they have gone back and added in the ability for, along with safes dropping as loot, it's now it's now possible for drills to drop as loot. They should
0: have um, done screwdrivers.
2: Like it takes way way more effort. <laughs> it takes way more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, they're they're apparently like incredibly rare. Um. So, but it it can happen. So so you're right. If uh if players want to uh just grind um they can eventually get the same stuff now. Now. Uh that
0: wasn't the case when it launched. Crazy. That is uh that is rough. And I, I think what's actually going to happen here, maybe maybe the community will accept it, but I really do think that these things bear out. Um if people get upset enough and stop stop playing these games, these the market will correct. I hope. I mean I think that's really our only our only option is that people go there are ways where I'll put up with this and there are ways I won't. Of course, the counter argument to what I just said is if you look at the, you know, the mobile market where the the sleaziest activity seems to give people the most money and it seems to be rewarded. Um so I, you know, I don't know. Are you a are you a Payday 2 player, Phil? Uh
2: yeah, you know, I I'm not like a hardcore fan by any means, but I love the first Payday and I've played quite a lot of of Payday 2 as well. Um hmm and have always really enjoyed the game and and like i said the biggest thing for me is just that it's always been so heavily community driven and so it's had such a uh such a like supportive fan base yeah that yeah. to see them do this just really bums me out from that perspective uh because the fans are so uh devoted to this game
0: yeah well, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. I'd love to hear from people that play it and, and what their reactions are. Uh, again, you can send stuff to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Um
1: Or you can just, like, send a postcard.
0: Yeah. Well, no, that, that costs actual money. I think that's the, that's the whole problem, Christian. Is but no, 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 wanna...
1: no, you don't understand. If you pay me 250 I will buy you a stamp. <laughs> no, that's not what we – we talked about this. There's no – it doesn't help. No, 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 but the stamp is just, like – it's just cosmetic, <laughs> and it and it's literally used to mail the postcard. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, Christian, what is your story of the week?
1: Uh, so I mean, I almost didn't want to pick this because it's the burden of a Monday show, and this news came out one, you know, like right after we did our last week's show. Um, so maybe we can hit on it quickly because I'm sure other podcasts have covered it. It's been covered um, online a lot, but the the messy true story. Behind the Making of Destiny, uh, as reported by Jason Schreier on Kotaku. Now, this is the Destiny story that I was interested in. This, I feel like, <laughs> is the Destiny story that the Marty O'Donnell story was just the the cute little tease about. It, it people was people that say like,
0: that Destiny has no storyline, <laughs> this is the storyline.
1: <laughs> yes, here is your storyline. Here's the plot. Um... So just a real, I mean, that's the quick overview of it, basically, right, is that uh, there was a story for Destiny, they did a super cut kind of story edit of it, and um, the powers that be were like, nah, dog, (laughs) that's no good. And they scrapped it, and then kind of hobbled the game together based off of levels that were already in the game, and kind of piecing a story together, they wanted it to be more open-worldy, where you could choose to go here, there, whatever, and they scrambled to put together the story mess of a game that came out when Vanilla Destiny first launched. Um, the Kotaku article has, of course, more details. I think it's a fascinating read. But I feel like this, too, is similar to Payday to some extent in just the larger, what I've called this, of this generation of making these games is, is tough, man. Like, you have a deadline. You have a huge publisher like Activision breathing down your neck, giving you what they give, $500 million or something well, like more that. No money,
0: to... mo' problems.
1: Yeah, right? to do this thing and um phil you are deeper in the news biz than both jeff and i are i mean is this something that when destiny first launched you know there were rumors of and whisperings or is it just everybody's knee-jerk reaction was the obvious one of hey this game feels empty (laughs) yeah
2: i mean i i i remember and and i don't want to Say too much about it because I don't remember specific details of where I read this, or sure, sure. you know what the what the context was. But I do remember hearing bits and pieces of like, "Hey, this." I think I think what it was is that writer who left, uh, who's talked about in this article, this is a really great article. You're totally correct. Um, but the writer who left Bungie, uh, that was known. It was known that he had left like nine months before the game came out. Um, which made a lot of people wonder, like, hey, what's up with the story? And then the game came out and it turned out, oh, there is no story. (laughs) Um, but certainly I will say as somebody who reviewed Destiny when it came out, um, reading this made a lot of sense to me because that was the feeling I had when I played it. It was like, this is not a complete game. This doesn't feel finished. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like they put out the bare minimum of what they could to still call it a product. Um. And and I say that as somebody who, uh, I've totally come around on it with the Taken King, and I think uh, Bungie has has done an incredible job, um, turning the game around and and adding the amount of content they need to keep people interested. Um, but but yeah, like I I certainly just just playing it got the impression of like, man, this doesn't this seems like something
0: went went wrong here. Hmm. Yeah, man, it is. Uh, it's a it's a shocking story and it's really one of those things where you have something that's at at this high of stakes financially for all the companies involved that it really and and, you know we see this across a lot of industries the movie industry is the same way Uh, even the music industry in a lot of ways can be like this where it means so much financially to these companies that it ceases to become a creative endeavor and becomes a purely financial endeavor and the, the decision making process is removed from the creative types and things are imposed on them. Release dates are imposed on them. Uh, you know, various various kinds of uh, uh, business models are imposed on them. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, and I think, you know, we saw, as we saw the, the composer leave the game, we saw why that was happening. It kind of didn't have anything to do with the, you know, the, the creative decision of what kind of music was going to be in the game all of that stuff happens at a level that's above creative and i think that's to the detriment of the product but it's the reality when you're talking about like a billion dollar thing you know something that is geared to become a billion dollar thing a lot of people have a lot of eggs in that basket yeah it's it's like simultaneously it's to
2: the detriment of the product and i i feel bad about it for that degree but also i'm like they spent a lot of money on it like activision gave them a lot of money and at some point activision's going to be like we need something to show for this amount of money. Yeah, we
0: gave you. it's interesting in the in the chat room. Uh, w. Houston says I've come around on it too after spending 120 plus dollars on it. That's more offensive than what Payday Two did. Kind of interesting.
1: Uh, knock knock knock. Hey guys, it's the uh, Devil's Advocate again. Um, what is the product though? The product for these types of games and releases is very much art plus the business side of things, right? I mean, this isn't just freewheeling, free love in San Francisco in the 60s. Like, let's make some art. Like, this was Bungie saying, later Microsoft, we got this dope deal from Activision, which, shame on you if you don't know, you know, your bedmate when you're laying down with Activision, what what they want and what they're going to do. And you go into something like that, eyes wide open, the product you're delivering isn't, you, you know, it's not my daughter coming home from preschool with, like, ten paintings that they make you take home and then you feel guilty throwing them away. But, guys, my daughter is a prolific preschool artist. I'm just going <laughs> to mm-hmm. put that out there. I mean, the product is is these business decisions. That's like saying, oh, man, the creative side of Transformers Rise of the Fallen or whatever the last movie was called. Oh, it got snuffed out by the economics. Of course it did. <laughs> You're making a Transformers movie. I mean, isn't that what Destiny is?
0: Well, I I don't think it had to be, and I don't think that every video game, just because it's a video game, is necessarily this machine built to make money. I mean, of course, I agree. It, I
1: would say most Activision games are, though.
0: Well, perhaps, uh, but I, you know, I I'm sure we could find some that aren't um, <laughs> if we really dug into it. I'm just saying that I think that you know these guys are creating a new IP. They have a certain uh, excitement level for what they're making, and I don't think any of that has to do with. The release date <laughs> you know i don't think any of that has to do with uh you know what the game is how it's going to charge people money etc like i don't think that that's what you get excited about when you're in a studio making a new ip and i think that's the push and pull right it, it they do yes. have to go hand in hand and, and you can't make it without a large amount of money and a large team but at a certain point it has to be you know it has to be something worth latching on to from from a player perspective it has to be good uh, and I think, you know, I think we may be overstating... was a lot of people put a lot of hours into Destiny when it first came out, and I don't well, so, think those people had a bad time.
2: So that's kind of the the most surprising thing about all of this, and, and the thing that I think is going to be... uh, to kind of go down in history is, like, the, the most shocking thing about Destiny is it came out in that state. Um, it sounds like there was a lot of problems behind the scenes that caused it to be in that state. Nevertheless it's been incredibly successful and it it kept, it has kept people's attention despite that. Like I I was just telling somebody like, even looking like last year, like December, the game had been out for several months. There's no real content. There's just a grind. There's nothing holding people in it. Mm. Um, And it's still so incredibly popular last year in, in December that like we would post a story on destiny and it would be our biggest story of the week. Um, And it's just like, I don't,
0: I don't know. I don't. Because it's fun. I mean, uh, coloring squared in the chat says uh, that we're having a really one-sided conversation. He said Destiny did pretty damn well as a system for co-op gaming and hit the big macro story uh, very well. And I, you know, it, it did well enough to keep people engaged. I think ultimately, the shooting is really fun and grinding for for stuff is addictive. And I think that people were having a great time with it. And so you can't really indict it. I think it would have. It would have been Daikatana or, you know, the last Duke Nukem or something. If, if it had really been a terrible experience, it would have flopped. Sure. Um, but it it was fun, and it is fun, and they have continued to iterate on it and improve it. So, well,
1: yeah, I guess prop, prop's to the Bungie
0: for how, how and how quickly they have improved on it. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's interesting in the world of... You know passionate gamers wanting more and being disappointed and and you know pop culture enthusiasts wondering what revenge of the Jedi would have been. you know what I mean like you get these little juicy details, and there's enough cool story stuff in destiny that makes you want more, or if it was just you know grab a buddy go shoot some stuff people wouldn't have complained if that was advertised but there's this larger world that leaves you wanting more it's like if you walk into a steakhouse and you see them cooking steaks but you literally cannot order a steak <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they walk one by you every now and again uh so i don't that's know a, I think that's a, a beautiful story. analogy
2: i love that i think you're absolutely <laughs> right uh purple hydra says to me it's only popular because shooter people never had an mmo in their life and i i legit anecdotally think that's part of it just from from talking to a lot of my coworkers who really love the game and a lot of uh, other friends who fell in love with it it was a lot of people who had never played an MMO before and Mm. it was
0: the MMO hooks in that game that were getting them interesting Um, it's like it's like (laughs) what I was experiencing in 2005 guys and when (laughs) when WoW came out I was like oh this is what all these uh, EverQuest people have been talking about I get it now
1: oh I thought you were gonna say the 49ers winning oh stop (laughs) <laughs> we won much more recently than that, just not this year.
0: Okay. Uh, and that's really, you know, faint. Glass houses, Mr. Houston Texans fan. Glass houses.
1: Hey, what's your story of the week, big boy?
0: Um, well, you know, my my story of the week isn't this, but I want to transition into this because of what we're talking about. I They published, um, EA published some data, beta data, on uh, the Star Wars Battlefront beta. Uh, and a heck of a lot of people played it. It looks like about 9 million people played the Battlefront beta and that uh, they played it for a long time. Two-thirds of those people uh, got to the player cap, of, which was only level 5, but still. And uh, 1.6 billion minutes were logged, which is, uh, based on average lifespan, is like, uh, what is it? A lot of lifetimes. Uh, <laughs> 38 full <laughs> lifetimes of, of human hours. I only bring that up. One, because I think numbers are fascinating on this kind of scale, but mostly because I think it relates to this, this what we're talking about with Destiny. Do you guys think, Phil, do you think that this kind of uh, retention that they had during the beta, this large number of people that are playing it, obviously this is a very attractive IP that's very much in the public consciousness right now. It's a beautiful game. Do you think this it points to the popularity over a long period of time of this, or do you think this is going to be kind of like an opening weekend pop and then it dies off quickly with battlefront?
2: Yeah, it's really hard to say. I mean, especially because, uh, the way that people treat betas, especially in in console games like this, uh, console centric betas, uh, is they're treating it as kind of like a preview, right? They're like, Hey, I can play the game for free. I can test it out. I can see if I like it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess the question to me is how many people are going to then actually go forward and buy the full game. Um, right. My, my gut is that there's a, there's so much buzz behind star Wars right now. There's so much excitement for the new movies and everything that I think it's going to do just fine. Hmm. Um, but I I don't know. I've 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 been surprised before and I, I always find like making predictions on whether or not a game is gonna be successful to be a really tricky thing. Uh you never you never know. You never know if the market is gonna actually respond to something.
0: Yeah, I, I wonder myself if nine million people tried it and had that itch scratched and then felt like, Oh, I've I've experienced that. I can I don't have to buy it now. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It, it certainly seemed like those a lot of those people stuck around. I mean, two thirds of them played it to level cap, which is you know sticking around significantly. I agree with you. I think it's going to sell well. My question really is: Is it in a year from now? Are we going to be talking about it like we are talking about Destiny a year after it was released? You know that I think it's probably safe to say no. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, just in the sense of like, I mean that's that's sort of the same way that I look at all multiplayer shooters like this like so few have those kind of hooks that destiny does of like keeping people pulled in for so long and and by a year from now i'm sure dice will have whatever their next thing is that we're all getting whether it's coming out next year or whether we're just talking about it presumably like battle the next battlefield or whatever Mm -hmm. um they'll probably getting being prepared to do battlefront 2 interesting Um, yeah yeah i just uh I don't think it will have that kind of lasting power personally.
0: It certainly seems like everybody wants to create these long-term games that stick around um but then everybody's also making the next thing. So it's, it's there's so so few games that can stick around like Destiny or like League of Legends or like Payday 2, Payday 2. Yeah, wow. Talk about messing with something that is rare. That's uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, So my actual story of the week, Christian, is uh, something that I think I wanted to... I thought maybe you might bring it up, but I want to bring it up specifically to talk to you about it because uh, you are our resident Vita lover, Mm. and uh, there was an interview this week uh, with Masayasu Ito, the Senior Vice President of uh, Sony Entertainment, and he... This is in translation, so there's a possibility that it was sort of mistranslated or he misspoke, but he seems to be saying that Sony... Computer Entertainment is no longer developing any titles whatsoever for PlayStation Vita, so that they are uh, relying on third parties to supply those titles and that they are focusing on PS4. So as a person who loves the Vita, I mean, I guess we all knew it was in its death throes, but this is pretty extreme, I would say.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I don't know what game they would make. The Vita, they also positioned in a weird place of, you know, it's a PS4 you can take with you. um what's kind of its original thing, and it launched with a version of Uncharted. They did a version of Killzone. They did an excellent version of Wipeout. They um, did a spinoff version of Motorstorm. Um, I'm trying to think of the other big franchises Sony had that they put onto this thing and they kind of tried to be that it's a console in your pocket space and it didn't pan out for them sales wise they did some quirky weirder games that didn't really pan out um i love my vita um i think it works pretty well for remote play i like um, as a playstation plus subscriber the indies i mean rogue legacy and um uh Splunky. i mean that's for me, worth the price of admission for how much of traveling I do, right? Um, But this isn't news to me, but Sony, I mean, this is, again, uh, in February 2015, Sony doubled down on games, saying that the gaming is the most important. This is big Sony. In April 2015, Sony doubles down on cell phones. On February 2014, Sony, these are all quotes and articles all saying the same thing. Sony doubles down on... On the smart TV market, Uh, May 2013, Sony to double down on 3D TVs. A lot of doubling down. (laughs) So this is like the one news story. Double down so much. (laughs) Yeah, this is the one news story where Sony stops doubling down. (laughs) Maybe
0: they should should split or uh, just, uh, you know, go play craps instead. (laughs) It's a different different uh, game singles um, down
1: but I, yeah this doesn't come as a surprise i do think it's funny that this interview comes out like right when they're releasing a new color they're like oh we have these blue ones that haven't sold in japan what do we do with them put them in north america boxes <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, i want to read an email that was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com this is from mark tuft uh he uh he's in favor of this portable ps4 idea he says my wife runs a daycare and my ps4 is in the room where she is running her business It was the last day of the Star Wars Battlefront beta, and I grabbed my Vita and went to my bedroom, opened up the PS4 link on the Vita, and started a Battlefront. The gameplay still worked great, and the graphics are still amazing. Then my son came in after I'd completed a few matches and said he wanted to play too. So here is where it gets pretty awesome. I told my son to go grab a PS4 controller from the living room. We then proceeded to play split-screen co-op on the 5.5-inch OLED screen for the next hour and had a blast taking down waves of stormtroopers. The Vita should be renamed and marketed as portable PS4.
1: Well, um, portable PS4 tied to internet. Yeah. yeah. Which kind of hurts its portability, but it's great when it works. It's great. I know there's a thread on, on GAF going right now about how, you know, one user thinks remote play is crap. I feel like if you have strong internet, it's maybe good for 70% of people and the other 30%, it doesn't work well. And they don't know why my old place. It didn't work. Nothing was changed, I mean it aside from where literally where I live, but my PS4 is hardwired. I don't I guess I was getting Wi Fi interference from neighbors and now it's it's great. It's weird. I don't know. Have you, Phil, are you a, a remote play person?
2: I haven't messed around with remote play very much. Um but I do have co coworkers who have, and and that's definitely sort of the same thing that I've heard. Uh when they're in a a location with trustworthy internet, um I've I've heard nothing but,
0: but positive things. Yeah. What do you you think about this whole, them not making any more Vita games? Is it sort of, we already knew it was coming? It's it's, it's like,
2: for me, I'm a big fan of the Vita as well. Um, And for me, it's like, it's a really big bummer. It's not surprising at all. Um, I honestly just think Sony, and and I think Sony recognizes it at this point, I just think they approached the Vita the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they approached it as like, we need to put out games that are... ...the same as our console games. Like, we need to put out the Uncharted on Vita. We need to put out, you know, all the stuff that... Uh, ...the Call of Duty on Vita. We need to put out the stuff that is, like, the console experience but on handheld. And that, that's just not really what works. Like, they needed to be developing more games that were... ...specifically designed for the Vita. Um, and, yeah, I think I think it's a bummer that they didn't figure that out in time. <laughs>
1: And use a micro SD card. I mean, they're still yeah. killing people with the proprietary memory cards. Yeah,
2: absolutely. No, that's a, that's a huge
0: thing. I think you're you're 100% right on that. A lot of the chat room is talking about that as well. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. I want to move on to uh, the playlist because we have some awesome games to talk about. This is the, the season of big AAA releases. Uh, but first, I need to thank our sponsor, which is Squarespace. You hear me talking about Squarespace a lot. That's because I use Squarespace, and I have done for many years now and have been a very satisfied customer myself. Squarespace is what I built jeffcanada.com on and still use to this very day. And I did that because the site never goes down. It's very reliable. It's very secure. And it also is easy to make something beautiful, something unique, something interesting, and doesn't look like every other blog on the web without having to mess with a lot of stuff. I don't have to know how to program in HTML. I don't have to get under the hood and really you know, tinker with things. I can just drag and drop It's all what-you-see-is-what-you-get type editing. It makes it so, so easy. They have tons of uh, templates that you can start with, and then you just mess with stuff and make it look really cool. The best part about it is you can completely try their their site, build your site for free without even having to put a credit card in. They're not going to automatically charge you none of that. They let you test it out, build your site, test the tools, make something really cool before you even decide whether or not you want to pay them any money or give them your credit card at all. And that's great. And plus... If you do test it out and try out Squarespace.com by going to Squarespace.com slash DLC, and you do decide you want to build your site, you want to build your uh, blog, your, your portfolio site, or even a, a, a store. They have a, a drag-and-drop um, uh, commerce thing, so you can, you can charge people money right there. It's so easy. If you do decide you want to do it, we're going to give you 10% off your first order by using our promo code, which is JeffSentMe. It's all one word, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, JeffSentMe. You get 10% off your first purchase, you show support for our show, it works out great for both of us, and you get the coolest web making tool in the world. squarespace.com/dlc and use that promo code Jeff sent me for 10% off. Uh, we really love Squarespace. They've been around forever and we uh, I'm so I'm so I feel so comfortable recommending them cuz I actually use them myself. squarespace.com/dlc promo code Jeff sent me. All right, dudes, uh, let's get right now to the playlist. playlist. I'm excited to talk to you, Phil, about uh, the stuff on your playlist because I'm very curious about both of them. Let's start with Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Yeah. Um, I'm not an Assassin's Creed guy. My first question to you, though, is uh, does everybody in this game have a face? as far as i saw yes
2: um <laughs> there definitely are still a lot of glitches um there's still some stuff that that the game has not fixed from uh, assassin's creed unity which was notoriously broken um mm-hmm. but f- it's it's less broken than that game was no well, that's good
0: less broken is is
2: progress
0: that's what i say
2: yeah absolutely
0: um, so you have finished the the campaign of Syndicate, right?
2: Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I finished playing it. I finished with a. I had about eighty percent completion, and okay. I actually. Uh, and this will tell you how I felt about the game. I actually keep meaning to go back because I kind of
0: want to just keep going and see if I can get a hundred percent. Really? So mm-hmm. tell me, tell me what's good about Syndicate. I I played the first two Assassin's Creeds all the way through, and then I sort of dabbled with the rest of the series and haven't been back. Um, is this enough reason to come back to the series or is it just sort of more of the same in a new milieu? I would say it kind of
2: depends on what pushed you away. Uh for mm-hmm. me, you know, I've I've played every game in the series pretty much. Uh Brotherhood, which was the one that came out directly after Assassin's Creed 2, it was mm-hmm. the first one where they kind of introduced the concept of we're going to be doing this yearly. Um Brotherhood was the for me the best one. Um and after Brotherhood, it's kind of been downhill. Um, I thought Revelations was bad. I thought three was was pretty bad. Um, four was the the pirate one, which I right. thought was was solid, but uh, didn't feel like an Assassin's Creed game at all.
0: That was um, the one everybody was like, "Come back to the series. It's good again. It has pirates. It's good again." They're yeah, it was, it was. It was. It was because
2: it like the ship stuff was fun, but nothing about that game that was fun felt like an Assassin's Creed game. It was because <laughs> like oh, you can you can. Uh, sh- you can float around to different islands, you can attack ships, you can... Yeah, whatever. It, it was cool, Sea but shanties, it, that's all I heard. Sea shanties. shanties about sea shanties, shanties were great. <laughs> um, it, it was cool, but it wasn't really an Assassin's Creed game, or the, the cool stuff wasn't really an Assassin's Creed game. And then Unity was a disaster. Um, mm-hmm. So, Syndicate, I think, is the best the series has been since Brotherhood. Um, okay. And it's just that... It's not that it changes anything. It's not that it that it like does every anything like significantly different. If you went right from Brotherhood to Syndicate, I think it would it would feel like you were just playing a sequel to that. Um <laughs> but it's it's that everything is just very um well designed, uh very tightly designed. Um the city feels like it's actually created for you to to get around in. Um for a while, and this is one of Unity's big problems, and Assassin's Creed 3 had this as well the areas that you were traversing didn't feel like they were created with the way that you traverse in the series in mind. Hmm. Um, So there would be a lot of, like, you know, you're supposed to be, like, a really cool, suave assassin who's, like, parkouring over stuff. Mm -hmm. And instead you would be, like, running into chairs and tripping over them. Um, (laughs) And it's like, that doesn't feel cool. That doesn't feel right. right." Uh, Syndicate feels like it was actually designed for you to to get around in those
0: cool, memorable ways. Does the... The, the core mission structure uh, does it is it a, l- a lot of repetition of the same things over and over? Um, how is the story delivered? What's that? So kind of they do track? something
2: cool, which is uh, one of the problems Assassin's Creed games have had for a long time is that repetition you're talking about of like doing yeah. these same sort of types of things over and over, uh, like tailing enemies over and over is the one complaint that gets brought up a lot. Um, they've taken the repetitious stuff and they've turned those into these side quests. That you do to take over enemy territory. Um, mm-hmm. So there are like five or six types of them, and that's the stuff you're going to be doing to take over territory. And it's totally optional. Um, mm-hmm. For the actual story missions, they make they make things a lot more new- unique and and much longer. Um, so you're going to be going through multiple objectives over the course of like a thirty minute mission, and they're going to be more unique, interesting objectives than than just the the repeated stuff that you're doing over and over again. And then those those missions actually build up, uh, so it's split into sequences, is what they're called. And uh, at the end of each sequence, you're doing a major assassination. And those assassination missions are actually the best part of the game. They're these cool, like, it just puts you into a giant open area. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are multiple, your target's in the middle somewhere, and there are multiple approaches you can figure out. So it can be like, well, c- could go over here and steal this key from somebody... Or I could just get in through the window and just rush in, like swinging my sword. Hmm. Or I could find a hidden passage that leads underground and go in through there.
1: Or I could
2: like, there's one where you uh, you're in like a a hospital, and it's like, oh, I could like go to the morgue and pretend to be a corpse and get wheeled (laughs) over to the doctor and then kill him.
0: Rad. It sounds like kind of like what they were doing with the Hitman series recently. It
2: it's definitely seems
0: inspired by
2: Hitman. I think it's a little there's probably less options than in like a really good Hitman level, but it's mm-hmm. moving in that direction and it feels much more interesting than than stuff the series has done previously.
0: One of the things I've been saying about Assassin's Creed for a long time is that my favorite thing about it is the setting and the way that they've recreated those really interesting time periods, yeah. and I wish that they would sell me like a like a $20 just let me walk around the world thing where I can just like (laughs) run around and nobody, there's nobody to kill. Nobody wants to kill me. Let me just explore it. And you know, I would be down for that just because that's really all I care about with those games.
2: Yeah. I would, I would absolutely love to see them as they continue experimenting with Assassin's Creed. I would love to see them, being more willing to do stuff that's like oh this one's not actually I mean I guess it's in the title it's assassins creed but right. like oh this one this one has some stuff that's not about killing they did that actually in unity one of the few good things that unity did is they introduced these murder mysteries hmm. and it, you could actually like just you're just investigating and interrogating people and then figuring out who did the murder and getting them why arrested. they had no
0: face left after the Aww. um what the greatest so, so- mystery of all <laughs> so um are, are is the is the setting in this one really cool i mean it looks so cool the victorian london it just seems such such a neat place to set a game
2: yeah i love it um i think it's a really cool and interesting um they give you a rope launcher which is sort of like the uh the batman thing uh the arkham arkham knight arkham city thing mm-hmm. uh to get across the city really quickly um and yeah i, I love the city i love the historical figures that they introduce in it uh they have uh Charles Dickens, who you oh, do cool. some quests for. They have Karl Marx shows up. Wow. Um, so lots of like really interesting figures in it.
0: Awesome. Um, uh, I want to hit your second game on your playlist, but let's yeah. uh let's hop over to Christian real quick. Christian, what's on your playlist?
1: We talked about it some last week with Aaron, and um this week I actually got to spend some time with Yoshi's woolly world, um, echoing what he said last week. The game is so beautiful. The art design and art direction of this yarn-crafted world is incredible. If you know nothing about the game, it is a 2D side-scrolling platformer game where, you know, it's made out of wool. Yoshi's eating guys, creating little wool balls with them, and then using those to interact with the world. Um, I'm not super far into the game. I think World 2 or something like that. I'm not sure how long it is. It is does not seem super challenging thus far. My biggest issue with this, and I I tweeted this out, is my biggest issue with Yoshi Wii U is that it's not um, Kirby Wii U, it's not Mario Wii U, and it's not Donkey Kong Country Wii U. And I don't know if that's a a version of a hashtag first world problem where Nintendo makes such great 2D side-scrolling platformers that getting another one with a character new you know different character swapped in that maybe isn't quite as good as Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze or even, you know, new Super Mario Bros. Wii U four or whatever the Wii U one was called is a is a, a pretty dang good game. Like if any other company released that as a platformer, I think people would be losing their minds. But because it's Nintendo and it's Mario, it's like hmm this is only the fourth best platformer. <laughs> uh, but I just don't know. I, I, I almost kind of wish, and I think this goes back to Assassin's Creed a little bit. I was listening to Phil. I'm just wondering, you know, we're diving into the nuance of what makes this different than a different one. And imagine how great it would be if there was just three years passed between Assassin's Creeds, And then you're not like really trying to distill why this one is different than the other one. Like imagine, and I know not enough Nintendo games come out, but stay with me on this hypothetical. If... Somehow Nintendo gave us Kirby, Yoshi, Donkey Kong Country, like all of those games into one awesome platformer that is doing such different things along the way. Like the I think the that's World called Ma- Mario Maker.
0: Well, uh, maybe. Maybe I it mean, is. It's all platforms in one game. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, whatever you want to make it, just do it. Just make it.
1: It's all Mario platformers of those Mario games in one game. But that's a good point. I mean, I guess that's maybe the closest they've come, but I... Playing through Yoshi, I don't see why, you know, one world of Kirby's Rainbow, whatever the Kirby game is called, couldn't have been this, right? Other than the brand uh, and the claymation art style. Like, make this a Mario game, and instead of giving me Lava World, Ice World, whatever world, give me Wool World, Clay World, Tropical Freeze World, and, like, that's a game I'm super interested in. That's a great
2: idea. I love that idea.
1: So it's it's a great game, but it it feels... I think in my ranking of Wii U platformers, uh, again like the Second World of Yoshi that I'm on, I think it's tied with Kirby. And the only reason I, I think Kirby's better, Kirby. but the stylus uh, input becomes taxing after a while. It's not as precise as I'd like it to be. Um, but yeah, you you haven't checked this out other than like E3, is that right, Jeff?
0: That's right. It's definitely up my alley. I love that that I love the Kirby games that do this, and the you know I it's the whimsy that I really dig but um yeah just haven't had bandwidth for it right now
1: no it's a tough time of year for it and kind of going back to assassin's creed 2 assassin's creed also i should say um it's weird right where yoshi came out so long ago in europe and got mixed reviews so i think that kind of soured some people on it just because it's coming out here with such a you know a crushing weight of so many games coming out and here's assassin's creed coming off of a bad year And it seemed like there wasn't much hype for it, and all of a sudden it's launching with really stellar reviews. I'm curious to see if that sours people's purchases this time of year for that game also, if this is the year that it takes a a downward trend a little bit. Interesting.
0: Uh, Well, I want to talk about uh, Halo 5, guys, uh, because I finished the single-player campaign and the NDA is up as of this morning, so I can talk about it. I will not spoil the game at all, I promise, but um, I can give you my, my... feelings on the entire single player campaign. I did not play any multiplayer yet. Um I kind of wanted to wait until the servers were up for real to do that. They did some like reviewer servers that I didn't really care to. Plus I'm not a huge Halo multiplayer guy anyway, so you probably don't even want my opinion on that because I'll be like, I <laughs> died a hundred times. I want your opinion. <laughs> oh, I want to hear don't. how many times you died. Oh <laughs> it was a hundred. It was a hundred times. Um but the single player campaign, I have been a big Halo single player fan since the first game um, so I have so many thoughts uh, first of all the game is gorgeous and it never stops being gorgeous like each new place you visit is just amazing to to view it's really really cool and uh, they do a lot of things really right some of the most fun just gunfights I've had in a in a game in a long time it, it really gets that halo thing where you're in this big open place and you have a myriad options. You have, you know, you can jump on a, a wraith. You can jump on a warthog. You can run around. You can find a cool big gun. You can take a dude down and take his gun. You know, all that fun, like, improvisational battlefield-type fun that Halo is known for, it nails. And I would say even more than that, the level design... I think takes it up a notch as far as giving you multiple uh, attack points and always having this flanking option and these. I don't remember a Halo game having as many uh, discoverable hidden pathways before. There's this new thing where if you are sprinting and then you press the melee attack, you do this like shoulder bash thing with jet, jets shooting out from behind you. You like pop into third person and you smash somebody. Well, you can bash through walls, certain weak walls in the game, sort of like Batman can find weak walls and, you know, spray paint them. Um, And those often lead to hidden areas that will take you, you know, flank a turret or get you underneath something and come up from behind it or, you know, go around and find a hidden cache of awesome weapons or like an awesome, you know, mech or something. Almost every level has stuff like that, and it was really always very fun to find it. Plus, all the new uh, Master Chief and uh, Spartan lock moves, all your new moves, are really fun. There's much more verticality in this Halo than in any of the other Halos. Because you can, if you push jump and then you get to a ledge and you push jump again, you will, like, scamper up it. So you can scale uh, up things much more than you've ever been able to do. And the game really takes advantage of that. You're always going up and down and climbing things. There's a lot of platforming in this game, actually, much more than I've ever seen in a Halo game. There's one level in particular where you're literally platforming up a tower, uh, which is, I think, very new but cool. Uh, and then once you are up high in the in the sort of verticalness of each level, jumping down and holding the melee attack will like power you up and give you a target on the ground that will like jet you down on people and do this pouncing uh, uh, upper attack that is very satisfying to pull off if you get like a group of grunts or a, a, a big elite that you want to take down and you can get above him and shoot down like that it is so fun to do um so i've i had a blast playing this halo uh, single player campaign all the way through i really did i can't wait to go back and play through it in co-op on a higher difficulty level which is kind of what i do with halo games that said there's a lot of things it does poorly um, the story baffles me. Uh, I don't understand. It is big and bombastic and beautiful, and I love me a good cutscene. Cutscenes are great. I love cutscenes. But in my opinion, the cardinal rule for cutscenes is don't ever have the character I'm playing do something in a cutscene that's cooler than what I can do in the game. Like Cutscenes are great for for delivering story moments and Showing me, you know, dialogue or whatever. But when you're showing me an action sequence and my guy does something that I literally cannot do in the game, that's frustrating, I find. It, it's like, don't show me a thing that I can't – my guy can't do. Like, because why wasn't I doing that the whole time? I could – if I could do that, I should be doing that to everybody. Um, and it does that over and over again, which is kind of frustrating.
1: Uh, also – Are they – hold on, sorry. Are they – moves that i don't want to spoil anything i don't know but are they just like you know a, a really cool john woo type kick or is it like he picks up a sword that's like a one use sword and it's like Shh, and then it breaks and he's like oh well and then you know that's my no breath, it's brother. more
0: like you know leaping on the back of somebody and tw- mm. twisting around behind them and holding onto their neck and like jump stabbing in the back of their head and or like this the game starts with this crazy like mountain thing where they're shooting down the mountain and jumping into spaceships and stuff it's like well i don't I I want to do that. Let me do that. I don't show me that. Like, let me play that. That's that looks fun. Um, I don't know, but, and then, and then the story overall makes no sense to me. First of all, just from a, like, I don't know Halo lore well enough to get it, but Halo combat evolved. It was, there's a war between humans and aliens in the far future. And then at a certain point we realize, oh my gosh, there's this third enemy. That's a threat to both sides. That is a very compelling story that you can wrap up in a sentence. And it's awesome to play that. And And the reveal of the flood and like, oh my gosh, we've been in this war and there's this war and now there's this third faction and we both have to fight them and I'm getting into a battle where the my enemy is also fighting another enemy. That's crazy and awesome. And it, it you get it, right? And I don't understand why the need for these games to just crawl up their own butts so far. Uh, like, make me a story that is as easy to get as as the first halo now we've got these crazy like final fantasy-esque guardian things that make no physical sense in the sky and they're a threat i guess but what is big i don't what know. is that
1: story that's not just that story again i mean i feel like it's the the problem of a story that doesn't end at some point things get pretty complex a story that doesn't end and that wasn't mapped out from the beginning where, you know, you look at like Harry Potter or whatever you want to say about Star Wars where Lucas had some, he he swears, idea for, you know, nine episodes of this thing. I feel like when you go in to make a game with no guarantee that there's another game, then another studio comes in to make a game and you have all this lore and this expanded fiction. I mean, I don't know. Is it? Damned if you do, damned if you don't. I don't. It's like, and yeah. maybe
2: I. Uh, we we actually just posted a story on Polygon, an opinion piece called "Let's Stop Pretending Halo Five Story Matters." Yeah. Um, by Mister Benjamin Kachera, uh, and uh, he he says something in this story that I think is relevant to what what you're saying there, Christian. Which is, uh, he says, instead the sequel is set up. Very little closure or resolution is offered, and in a few years we'll spend another sixty dollars for a story that will do little else but set up Halo Seven. Right, and that's. I think that's kind of it. Like they're in that constant, that constant uh, cycle of like they've always got to be getting people excited for the next thing, which means in a lot of cases never, never setting up re- or never giving us resolution for the current thing. Um, there, there are games that avoid that, games that are still um, franchises that avoid that, but it's it's tough, and I don't think Halo is quite uh, pulled
0: it off. So yeah, I, you know, I I think that's part of the problem. But, you know, the Marvel movies have that problem, too. And I think that for the most part, each Marvel movie is pretty satisfying in in its own did right. You, I mean, did pe- you
1: watch Avengers 2? Well, I, you yeah, know, I mean,
0: a lot of people
2: complained about Avengers 2 primarily being set up. I, I, I still liked it, but I, I think that complaint is legitimate, certainly. And I think, I think the— Go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I think us—I think we'll all sit here and say Avengers 2 is pretty good. But I also feel like we've read all of the expanded fiction, i.e. the comic books. You know what I mean? Whereas, like— I haven't done that for Halo, so I think someone that's right. uh, listened to Hunt the Truth yeah. and read all the books and read the Marvel comics probably doesn't feel this way, and they, they like all of this stuff. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm wondering... I would love to get that perspective.
0: I would love somebody that is is that deep into Halo lore to tell me whether this was a satisfying story or not. I think the bigger problem for me as a more casual Halo fan, I don't understand—I mean, this isn't really a spoiler because you know it going in— uh, it, you play as both Spartan Locke and Master Chief, but really, Master Chief is a side character in this game, and I don't, I do not fundamentally understand why that decision was made. It well, it, I, I it also, adds nothing.
2: I also heard that the uh, so it's the two
0: teams, right? It's uh, yeah. What is blue Master team? Chief's? Team Osiris and blue team. Blue team is is the Master Chief, and Team Osiris is Spartan Locke's team.
2: I've heard that in addition to uh, Locke being more of a focus that his team, Team Osiris, is actually much more
0: interesting as well. Oh, for sure. You, you, underst- you get um, the, the entire side team, the periphery team, You know Nathan Fillion and, and the other gang. <laughs> They're all fleshed out, and we know more about them. We spend mm-hmm. much more time with Team Osiris than we do with Blue Team. Blue Team is this, like... But, but it from a storytelling perspective, it does not make any sense to me. Because basically the idea is, and this is the setup for the game, again, not a spoiler... Is that uh, Master Chief and Blue Team are AWOL and they are they are out in the world doing something that and they need to be hunted down and uh, so you play as as Locke hunting Master Chief right for most of the game and then sometimes you play as Master Chief but that story would be so much more fun if I stayed as this, the the freaking character that I want to play as which is Master Chief the the guy whose game series this is. If I stayed as him the whole time and I had this other team hunting me and we popped in and saw cut scenes of that other team often hunting me and getting close, that would be much more compelling and much more interesting and just better storytelling. And I don't understand why it's flip-flopped. Like, why give me the guy I don't care about unless there's some thing with Spartan Locke, like they're trying to set up cartoon series and animated series and, and you know, live-action series with this character. I don't understand
1: well, here's here's my pitch, and this is as much to you, Jeff and Phil, as it is to our, our listening audience. I'm wondering if a, a series like this would be satisfying if, let's say, there were multiple Spartans still, most, you know, multiple chiefs. And the story was there is a huge, huge, huge war going on. Halo 1, or even pre-Halo 1, right? Huge war going on between humanity and the Covenant and the Flood is whatever they're doing. And each game is just a war. I mean, it's just a battle. And and in that battle, you play as that Spartan, and there's a little story and intrigue that maybe pulls you along, but in the grand scheme of things, what you've done is D-Day. You know what I mean? Like, you, you right. land somewhere, you fight through, you have this awesome, uh, was it Scarab uh, interaction, you have some elites, you have some great battles, and then the end of the thing is you advancing humanity into this point and getting this this choke you're, point or whatever you're
0: describing uh the first few call of duty games when they were still yeah. world war Two
1: right based on real events right yeah um but in a fictional world would that be satisfying if that was the game and then halo 2 or i don't think they'd be numbered sequels um the next halo is that again but this time you're on you know fire world or whatever and you're kind of doing the same thing and the game really then is just about the combat interactions and the, the through line is Take this point, do this, or stop this ship from escaping. And is that enough? And then at the end of five of those, do they all come together and you have your squad base shooter? Where this, that, and whatever. I, I don't know if that's satisfying enough for people to enjoy, or if when Halo Two in this hypothetical came out, people would be like, "Oh, great, it's just Halo, but now you're in a fire world." I don't know.
0: I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's the only other solution, but it's I none. I don't I don't think that. what happened i think ultimately ben kuchera's point that phil mentioned is right ultimately i recommend getting this game because it's darn fun it is really fun the firefights are well designed the game plays so silky smooth and looks great and is fun it's so fun the mix of weapons is fun the enemies are fun it also it also breaks the other cardinal rule of halo in my opinion which is, uh, I think Halo should never have boss fights. I just don't think it should ever have boss fights. I think should, the the thing that's magic about the first Halo Combat Evolved is that it didn't have any boss fights. It's like, oh my God, you can make a game where it's just fun to fight the, uh, bigger and bigger hordes of enemies, and sometimes they're infighting amongst themselves? That's so fun. This game, you have a boss fight, and you literally fight the same boss no less than four times, and it's it never fun. It's just something you have to endure to get back to the the better stuff. So that ultimately is another flaw but overall i would highly recommend this halo i think it's one of the best games of the year i think it's so fun and it's to ben's point like it the story literally did not matter to me i couldn't care less it really it it was it was the cutscenes are fun they're pretty there's some crazy stuff that happens they were a nice break between missions but ultimately but- and there's even some weird missions in the in the single-player campaign for the first time ever in Halo, I think, where you don't shoot anything, that you have your gun down the whole time. Like, an entire mission is just wandering around and talking to people. And uh, so it felt like they were really concentrating on delivering a story here. It's just such a convoluted, odd, poorly executed story that I think it, it it's entirely
1: forgettable. So, Phil, I haven't read the, the Polygon piece yet, and, and Jeff, I haven't played the game yet. But I would argue <laughs> in a place of total ignorance, I realize as i <laughs> as I set that up, that the story maybe has to matter some Jeff, because you finished the campaign, whereas Destiny, which we talked about earlier on the show, which had no story in Vanilla Destiny, and you say has great combat, you quit playing. that's true,
0: that's true. I think maybe uh i you know it was very refreshing to me. To be in a game, I can't remember the last game I played that wasn't a big open world, optional side quest kind of like it was really fun to like go from A to B through a world, <laughs> and to do a game that had a beginning and an ending, and it was just linear. I don't know, there was something very refreshing, a throwback about that that I was enjoying, uh, and and each new mission, I really really liked playing the game. I really liked the places you get to and the cool things you get. The firefights are fun. Um, And I know people say the firefights in Destiny are fun, but maybe it it felt like going back to the same worlds over and over in Destiny. It just felt like, oh, I've been here a thousand times. I have to run through this place to get to the next place. And it never felt like that with Halo. It felt like, oh, each new location was something interesting and fresh. I don't know.
1: Cool, I'm excited. It should uh, be at my house soon. Cool, I
0: can't wait to hear what you think of it. Uh, Phil, I'm so, so interested. I kind of feel like we saved the best for last. I'm so interested to hear about Guild Wars 2 Heart of Thorns. Uh, I don't want you to, to say that we saved the best for last, because
2: last, I don't know that I have too much to say about it. Oh, okay. Um, because I have just started playing it. Um, I, I just last night, uh, well, I, I put together a new computer this weekend. Um, so I, I had to put together my new computer and then download Guild Wars 2 And then finally get in, and I I went to the new zone and kind of started out the Guild Wars 2 Heart of Thorns expansion content. Um, It seems cool so far, but I'm not totally sold on it. One of the interesting things that they did with this, uh, you know, most MMO expansions, what's one of the things that you can always expect? Well, of course, they're going to increase the level cap, right? Mm -hmm. They did not do that with Guild Wars 2 Heart of Thorns. And instead, they introduced this new system called Masteries, which is um, essentially you can choose which mastery line you want to put all of your experience points towards, and then it levels up that specific line. Hmm. Um, so, as an example, when you first get to the expansion zones, you kind of instantly are leveling up the the line to unlock your glider, um, hmm. because the expansion zones are very vertical, they're all about like um, exploring these huge jungle areas... And you can use a glider to get around. Um, But you can't use the glider until you've sort of leveled it up. And then once you've leveled it up, you can do all sorts of, like, you can keep leveling it up. You can keep leveling up, uh, like, to get the ability to go further and to um, give yourself a boost into the air and all this sort of really interesting stuff. Um, My understanding is that a lot of people, uh, a lot of Guild Wars fans, uh, have been describing it as very grindy. So I'm a little bit worried.
0: <laughs> that is worrisome, especially because Guild Wars didn't really it kind of eschewed that a little bit because of how well, many variety of things you could do at any given time.
2: Absolutely. And the whole thing with Guild Wars 2 was like when it when it first launched was like, hey, our level cap is level 80, which seems really crazy, but there's no uh it doesn't take more experience to level up as you go. Right. The levels are always the same. Um, right. So there was no real grind in the game. Um, so if, you know, and again, this is just sort of what I'm reading on Reddit and what I'm hearing people talk about, if Heart of Thorns has suddenly introduced this grind without even increasing the level cap, that's definitely of concern. Uh, I will say the zones are really pretty. The storyline that they have leading into them is is very interesting, and I'm intrigued and want to see where it's going. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely... Uh,
0: I'll say cautiously optimistic this is a game I've definitely had my eye on so i'm'm I'm, I will be looking for your article on polygon eagerly uh how much how many Guild Wars two did you play i played i mean I haven't played in a long time, but mm-hmm. I played all the way to cap when it first came sure. out and uh, i didn't I got into the end game a little, but I kind of faded out at, when we started on the end game but I really liked playing it, and I know... Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm a big fan. I, I will say the other concern that I have is I'm sort of
2: like you in that I played a lot when it came out. I played a little bit here and there throughout the last couple of years, but I had I haven't played much in a while. Um, I, I do think, and this is a problem a lot of MMOs run into, it doesn't seem like the expansion is very well designed for somebody who's coming back to it. Oh, no. Um, That's what I would
0: hope it would be best. To yeah,
2: yeah, you know, I'm I'm definitely very, like... I'm getting into this new content and I'm immediately feeling very overwhelmed. Mm. Um and very like I I remember sort of how to play, but I'm just getting destroyed. I don't know if it's that my armor's not good enough, I don't know if it's that I don't have the right like runes equipped or whatever. Um
0: that kind of stuff. Interesting. Cool. That's Guild Wars 2 Heart of Thorns. I'm sure we'll be talking more about that as well. Um I wanted to uh we, we got a lot of great feedback last week from bringing back the stories of glories and tales of fails. Uh, and uh, this story is a, is a little long, but I think it's worth it. And I uh, hope you guys can indulge me. I think it's going to be a fun, fun ride. This was sent in uh, by a, a fellow who refers to himself as Strikeforce Zulu from Norwich, England. Uh, he writes, Me and a few mates had a regular weekly night of Battlefield 3 on the Xbox 360. Over the weeks, a new metagame had emerged around getting each other's precious, shiny dog tags. Earned by stabbing someone in the back and permanently viewable on your stats page, having a mate's dog tags was the ultimate in bragging rights. Getting someone's tags was a tricky feat to pull off and was always accompanied by the customary taunt of Jingle Jangle from the Knifer. Myself and five friends were playing Rush on uh, Nose Hair Canals. He says it's pronounced Nose Hair Canals. Uh, We were split, with three of us on each team in full 24-player battle. I was a sniper class, and in the zone, popping off headshot after headshot, within a few minutes, I'd become the scourge of the attacking forces, head and shoulders above anyone else on the scoreboard. Even so, a thought was pushing its way into my battlefield trance. Echo has been very quiet since I last sniped his head off. Unfortunately, the realization was too late. My view was violently pulled from my sniper scope and spun around as I was knifed in the chest. Having jumped out of a chopper and parachuted onto the roof behind me, Echo's soldier filled my screen as he was ripped the dog tags from my bloodied corpse. Jingle, jangle, he exclaimed, as laughter, disbelief, and insults erupted over my headset. Echo got Zulu's dog tags! (laughs) Ha ha, in your stupid camping face, Zulu! I went silent. Not because I was sulking about the humiliation of finally having my tag stolen, well, maybe a little bit, but because, like any annoying battlefield sniper worth their salt, and unbeknownst to my killer, I had dropped a spawn beacon at the back of the roof as soon as I got up there. While everyone was still reveling in my comeuppance, I had spawned in the air above the warehouse. I silently parachuted down towards the roof behind Echo, holding my breath, praying that he wouldn't figure out what was about to happen, while he obliviously sniped at my teammates from the very spot where he had just killed me. I looked at the ticket counter. The attackers were down to just five reinforcements. The game could finish at any moment. My vengeance, so close I could taste it, could be cruelly snatched away, an eye for an eye gone in the blink of an eye. Four reinforcements. I hit the roof running, echo on the opposite side, still sniping and laughing. Three reinforcements. I ran as fast as the sprint button would allow, cresting over the roof's ridge. Two reinforcements. He was almost within reach. I could have easily just shot him in the back to guarantee the kill, but that would have been too easy. One reinforcement. I reached his sniping spot just in time to break my silence. Jingle this, I said, as coolly as I could muster as I hit the melee button. Echo's chatter stopped abruptly as I unceremoniously plucked the dog tags from his carcass. The screen flashed white. Your team won, appeared. My dog tags avenged and the final kill of the match, and there I am, humbled yet triumphant, sitting proudly atop the leaderboard by a hefty margin. That short, bloody battle was not just a defining moment in my gaming life, it also taught me a great deal. I learned something about hubris and humility, about preparation and patience. I learned that sometimes in life, in order to really win, you must be prepared to lose that which you most hold most precious. That was a pretty great story of glory uh, from Strike Force Zulu in England. Thanks for sending that in. You can always send stories yourself at uh, g- uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com.:
1: I have a, a quick one. Um, and listeners, just play it on loop over and over again, and you'll get you'll get the full story. Christian was running from where he spawned to where the objective was, and he died. <laughs> and I just looped that uh, yeah. a few times. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, I don't know quite what it taught him. I don't. I, I kind of got to the end. It's a great story, but it's like, uh, I think you won, bro. I don't think that taught you. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was an epic moment for sure. Yeah, love those.
0: Uh, all right, guys. Uh, let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. you guys are in for a treat we're gonna have actually a bonus tabletop time segment at the very end of the show we're tacking it on i i had a an opportunity to interview uh Quentin smith from the shut up and sit down podcast he's been on here before he and i both played through uh the first six missions of Pandemic Legacy, which I know, uh, Phil, you're going to talk about a little bit. Uh, and uh, so we're having a full spoiler cast of that, uh, but it's on at the end of the show. So if you don't want any spoilers for Pandemic Legacy, don't listen. But it's a really fun. He's great. And we really have a good time talking about it. So it's going to be on uh, this, this conversation that we had is going to be on his show and on this show. So um, yeah, really, really cool. That'll be at the end of this episode. But Phil, I know you wanted to bring up Pandemic Legacy a little bit as well.
2: Yeah, so I I don't play a lot of tabletop games. Uh, I don't play a lot of board games. Uh, But I have a colleague, Charlie Hall, on Polygon.com, who writes a lot about board games uh, for us and is kind of always trying to talk me into playing stuff. He wrote a great piece on Pandemic Legacy last week titled You Have Exactly 12 Months to Play One of the Year's Best Board Games. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it was one of these things where uh, a lot of times with his... His uh, board game stories. I read them, and I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of cool. I, I, whatever, it's not really for me. This is one where I read it and was immediately like, I need to find people to play this with. I need to buy this. This sounds incredible. Um, Jeff, I would love to hear your thoughts if you if you've played some. Uh, like, yeah, is this? Am I going to enjoy it as somebody who does not necessarily play a ton of board games? Am I going to be able to to understand it?
0: Well, I will say this um, i I have been reluctant to um, re- recommend it to people that have never played pandemic at all um, sure. al- although you can play sort of base pandemic with that box as well if you if you don't start with any of the legacy rules in place, you can just play pandemic out of the box and they actually recommend in the rules that you play three games if you've never played pandemic before that you play at least three games just to understand how pandemic works because sure. You know, it, it very quickly starts layering on new rules, and I think if you don't sort of understand how the game is played at all, then you, you, you can kind of get thrown into the deep end pretty quick. But Pandemic as a game is is easy to recommend for players who haven't spent a lot of time playing designer board games. It, it is very, very accessible. It's, it's wonderful because it's a cooperative game, so you're no, nobody's going to lose if they feel like they don't know what they're doing uh you're all in it together so you can all sort of share strategy and figure out what's the best move in this particular turn and it's really compelling and fun i mean you're trying to stamp out these these diseases all over the world and the game is playing against you and and uh, it's it's really fun this this game i think is is one of the best experiences i have ever had playing a board game it truly is the the progression that happens from game to game the way it evolves and becomes something different and, you know, there's, there's, in the very first game you play of it,
1: halfway through the game, you stop and your objective changes. Get in it's, your car, go to Toys R Us, buy Monopoly. Yeah. Play 200 games of Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: and you'll hear uh, at the end of this episode, if people that stick around and are up for spoilers, you'll hear um, Quinn and I talk about it, specifically what happens. But I, if you're, Phil, if you're even thinking about playing it stay away from spoilers because it's such a magical sure. experience to have those those new things revealed and have the game change on you as you're playing it, it is really really yeah
2: cool. and that's definitely one of the things that that charlie talks about in his article is is just how incredible the events are and everything and and that you don't want to have those ruined for you yeah for sure
0: but it is i think it's by far the game of the year for me even even in a year that has some some great games already
2: I'm curious to hear it and you know maybe you've talked about this some before and I apologize if you have but is there any like do you have any thoughts on the idea of like you know a this sort of like idea that people have been slowly building up of like board games that are uh, what's i just like self-destructing i guess <laughs> like that yeah. you well, play them yeah, I mean, you play them
0: for a certain amount of time and then they are used up it was a very controversial idea when risk legacy was released mm-hmm. that the game told you to tear a card in half uh repeatedly or stick stickers on something or write on it in pen um a lot of board gamers like myself one of the things that i love about board games is it it scratches my sort of ocd itch of like everything in its little baggy and all it's all perfectly placed and it's got all you know storage solutions and everything is pristine uh for some reason i like that about the hobby so it is very transgressive in that sense um but i you know and people argue well then you know once you're done playing through this this thing it's garbage well i would argue that you know this is a game that you play minimum 12 times as many as 24 times and you're probably going to be in there in that range somewhere i would challenge anybody to have a board game that they have played that many times at all anyway you know like we tend to play a game five six times it's you know it's not i think you're going to get more plays out of this and it's going to deliver a much more interesting experience than most board games will anyway um so i i don't think that it's i think it is good value for your money and but at the end you have this like this trophy or or uh, you know this this monument to the times that you had together it's really cool um christian i know you wanted to talk about uh something in the segment as well,
1: well yeah this is, it's uh interesting um i enjoy charlie's writing over on on polygon and so when I saw this article come up, and also a friend and former guest of the show, J.D. Amato, texted me. Uh, he's the director of The Gethard Show and was on. I don't know. It was too long ago. We need to have him back, um, but he's, he's busy. Um, texted me, asked me if I had played Subterfuge, which is not a board game. It is an iOS game, but Charlie also wrote about it on Polygon. He has a good piece up saying it's the most cunning game on iOS right now, and here's how it works. Read that if you are more interested in the rules. I'm not going to dive into the rules. Broadly speaking, it is a submarine. Um, the world is covered in water, and you're trying to mine things and um, basically screw over other players or and or cooperate with them to get things done, and it's constantly going. Um, and JD, you know, and Jess was texting me saying it's like you know a career in comedy. Everybody's your friend until three in the morning <laughs> when they schedule something <laughs> to happen and you're asleep. And so the reason I kind of want to talk about it here in tabletop time, and I think it's interesting too that you know Charlie covered it on Polygon. Is I mean, it is not by definition a tabletop game, but in the description and and tinkering with it and, and reading up on it and watching videos, it's a board game to me. Just played on iOS. So, Jeff, I'm curious to get your take and not specifically on this game if you're not familiar with it, but do you have an opinion on that? Can tabletop, air quote, games exist only digitally or are they then video games? Like so much of this game, the way it's played, you get your group together, you're communicating via text and whatever because you're not sitting in the same room, or is that just never going to be a, a board game?
0: Well, you know, uh, it's funny. Did you mention the title already? It's called Subterfuge.
1: Subterfuge. It is on iOS and it will ruin friendships from what I hear.
0: (laughs) Well, it's really funny. So the first time I heard about this was yesterday when uh, I was going to do the interview or the the thing we recorded that you guys are going to hear at the end of this episode with uh, Quentin Smith. Uh, we were scheduled to do it at a certain time. He was a little late, and he's like, "I'm so sorry, I lost track of time. I was sitting in bed playing Subterfuge," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, really?" He's like, "Yeah, you have to download it. It's amazing." So I downloaded it last night. I haven't had a chance to check it out, and then here he come today. And Christian's like, oh, "I want to talk about Subterfuge." I'm like, "Well, this is like the game, sort of having this rumbling of of it just yes. came out, right?" Yes. Um, yeah. So I'm very curious to try it. I haven't tried it yet, but but to your to your question, I do think that. You know, there's a whole bunch of tabletop games that have made the jump to mobile that have been that sure. have been put out in in digital format and they work really really well. I you know, I would probably consider this a video game because it technically is a video game, but it's certainly that line is blurring from from mechanics that are more traditionally uh tabletop centric and and I don't think it's inappropriate to bring it up in this in this segment
1: because well, it's a I feel like to me this is a tabletop game that can't exist on a table and right. as a purist of of tabletop gaming is this um i don't know what the analogy would be but you know the thing you love becoming the thing you hate <laughs> where well, so much can't. of this I mean, game is that not. but you can't have your I house hate. open well, I correct i, I overstated yeah. but uh, you know you can't leave the front door to your house open at all times and have people coming and going and setting their next move um I don't know. I think it's really cool, but it is. It's an interesting potential slippery slope of what is a, a traditional tabletop game or what is that gameplay because this is not a first-person shooter. It's also not necessarily a multiplayer RTS because it's constantly happening. I don't know. I think in well, the space you know, of gaming, it's fascinating. Sorry. It is
0: fascinating, and there's a lot of game, I guess Clash of Clans works that way too, or you know, while you're asleep, somebody can attack your, you. you got to set up defenses mm-hmm. before you go to bed whatever. Uh, I think it's all fascinating, and a lot of people play very traditional board games like Diplomacy, They'll play over email so that, you know, you get an email in the middle of the night. And you're like, uh, guess what? I made a treaty with Italy and, you know, screw you. We're, we're, we're going off on our own. Um, so a lot of people find really interesting ways to to play those those rule sets. And I think what defines a tabletop game is the rule set, really. But for me, the magic of the reason I like tabletop games is because I'm sitting across from someone and I have physical pieces, you know, like that that to me is part of the fun is like, I get to move this little wooden cube and I'm also sitting across from a real human being. And, you know, we're sharing a bag of chips or whatever, you know, like that's, what's fun about it. So, yeah. I don't um, real quick, I wanted to bring up, uh, a role-playing game that I played recently. Uh, you guys hopefully remember me talking about the end of the world RPG that I introduced to my regular Dungeons and dragons group, uh, and went over like gangbusters. And so that kind of gave everybody this, new uh, excitement to try new things which i'm i'm always excited about i love the ongoing D campaign but i'm i'm so curious about different rule sets and things and i've had a copy of the role-playing game fiasco on my shelf since the totally rad show days i was trying to talk dan and alex into doing a totally rad show segment on fiasco for so long and it never happened and i was it was just sitting on my shelf and finally it, it, dan and alex are both in my D group, we finally got to the point where everybody was excited about trying something new, and I was like, I want to do Fiasco. If you guys don't know what Fiasco is, it's basically the attempt at creating a Coen Brothers movie in real time that is completely unique to your play group. Like you're 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 in the context of like a Coen Brothers movie where bad things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people, heists are fouled up, uh, things go catastrophically wrong. There's weird, interesting characters. And you're constructing it from this play set all in real time and role-playing it. Um there's a there's a Will Wheaton tabletop episode where they do it. Uh it's been around for a long time. As I said, years I've had it on my shelf unplayed. And it really is just a book. There's just a little booklet. You play the game with uh note cards, uh three by five note cards or whatever, and some pencils and some dice, and that's all you all you need. Um and I was very excited because my tabletop group or my D&D group, uh, Dan and Alex are in it, and, and a few other people, all of whom are in some way in the creative Hollywood machine, actors, writers, behind the scenes people, everybody involved, is involved in making movies or TV shows or stuff. So it's a very Hollywood group. And I thought, my God, what better group of people to have do this than, than this group of people? We're you know basically sitting around writing a script together. Uh, using this the structure of this game, uh, it didn't go as well as I thought it would, but it was still very fun. We were laughing so hard. Basically, the way you play is you start off with you start out with um, these these play sets they call them, which are basically just settings that that are in the book, and there's a whole bunch of additional ones online you can download. You pick one like the Old West or uh, a, a suburban town or the Midwest or you know, there's a whole bunch of them. You pick one and it comes with these lists of people and relationships and items and locations. And then you, you roll a whole bunch of dice and then you start allocating those dice in turn order around the circle of people. Uh, you start allocating them to the stuff from those tables of of items and people and stuff. And so you start building out the world, what's going to take place in the world. So, for example... If I you know, roll a whole bunch of dice and there's like two sixes and three fours and a two and five ones or whatever from the pool of dice, I can select one of those dice numbers and sit, look at a table and go, in that table, a, a number of six is a relationship of father-son. So I'm going to make the relationship using this die, using up this, this six, I'm going to assign a relationship of father and son between me and Christian. Cause we're sitting next to each other. So now we have the relationship of father, son If somebody else can pick another die and go, well, beneath father, son, there is a sub more specific version of our relationship. And I can assign that, or I can pick a die and say, okay, there is a, a shotgun. That shotgun has something to do with the relationship between Christian and Phil. We don't know what, we don't know how, but it does. There's, there's a shotgun in play. And so you sort of build up this world, people it with locations and character relationships and items and stuff. And then the course of play is that each person takes a turn and on their turn, they can decide whether they want to start a scene or decide how the scene resolves. And you can't do both. You can do one or the other. So if you start a scene, then you decide which characters are in it, where it takes place and what they want. And, and you start improvising that scene or talking it out. You can either stay in character or you can just describe what happens. And anybody can participate and give ideas. Uh, and at a certain point, if you started the scene, everyone who isn't you decides whether it's going to turn out well or poorly for your character. And they decide that and then you sort of incorporate that into the scene. If you decided you were going to resolve the scene... Everybody else sets the stage and the characters and what's going to happen. And you, at a certain point, decide whether it's going to resolve well or poorly for you. And everybody sort of jointly talks out what happens. And you keep doing that until the halfway point, which they call the end of Act 1, and then some crazy stuff gets introduced. And then you go back and you do that again for Act 2, and crazy stuff happens at the end. So it really is this, like, storytelling machine that you've built that has a lot of input but it relies heavily on the creativity of the of the group. But because it's sort of groupthink and everybody is contributing all the time, no one person is ever solely responsible for making it all come together. It's a really interesting structure and rule set. I think ultimately very difficult. Uh, I think if we played it again, we would do much better. I think the first playthrough was a little clunky and we weren't really quite sure what the scenes were supposed to do. And even people that were used to writing things and creating story. I think it was very clunky and it kind of had fits and starts and wasn't perfect, but it's a very interesting idea and it's called fiasco. Coloring squared brings up a point, which is why
2: doesn't everyone decide to be negative? Everyone, what is the incentive?
0: So there are, uh, there are a finite number of dice. And again, I I kind of left this out, but in order to decide whether something is going to go well or poorly, you award someone a die, and there are equally no- equal numbers of them that uh, of different colors. So you have – in the game book, it says you want to have a bunch of white dice and a bunch of black dice. Um, so, But as long as they're different in some way. So then you award – let's say you want it to go well. You award a white die, and they know, okay, this is going to end positively. But there's a finite number of them. And at a certain point, you have to start awarding the, the other color, right? Mm-hmm. So the game sort of corrects that way. It's also the countdown timer for the game. When the dice are used up, that's how you know that the – story wraps up. Um but then the interesting thing is at the at, during the the end bit the, the midway point and the end you then use those dice to affect the game. So you can then spend those dice and whether they were worked out well or poorly for your character affects how you get to use them. So it, there's these systems built in that, you know, prevent that kind of thing. It's pretty fascinating. But again, it it really requires people to uh, all work together and try to, you know, the goal is to create an interesting story. The goal isn't really to win. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting concept. I would recommend people try it, but uh, for us, I think the first playthrough was not a hundred percent successful. I, I really want to try it again.
1: Hmm. Yeah,
0: uh, Again, that's called fiasco and you can buy it. I think it's like a $30 book, very, very small book. You can buy it on uh, online as well. Um, all right, well, that's going to do it for this episode. As as I said, we, we still have our uh, our parting gift to give you, and then there's that bonus, spoiler-filled pandemic legacy discussion with Quentin Smith at the end of this episode, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but I have to thank you, Phil Kohler. Thanks for being here, man. It's always so fun to do a show with you. I really, really love thank it. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I, I love coming on. Happy to anytime. Awesome. Uh, where can people keep up with your stuff this week?
2: Uh, I'm over on Polygon.com. Um I don't I I've got a couple of of things that will be going up this week. Um but nothing nothing too huge, but uh you can read my Assassin's Creed Syndicate review over there. And then of course I am at twitter.com/pkoler. Um so for anything that I post on Polygon or any other random
1: thoughts throughout the week, you can find there.
0: Awesome. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this
1: week? I'm consistent with my Twitch streaming, very low invested stakes in this thing so far, you know, not a serious rig, but just via the consoles, but that is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer, Thursdays at 1.30, and then uh, Mondays, if you're listening to this live right now, um, I usually finish this show, eat lunch, and then come back out and, and do something, uh, Twitter at Spicer, and then... The first Thursday of November is Sketch Melt at Nerd Melt. Second Thursday is Improv versus Stand Up at UCB. And if you are not in LA, I will be at the Scottsdale Laugh Factory um, November 19th through 22nd with Dean Del Rey. So it's a little further out, but if you're in the Scottsdale area, we will be there doing, I don't know, a mess of shows, six, seven shows. Uh, It should be pretty rad. Awesome.
0: Very cool. Uh, I've got the uh, Slash Filmcast. You can listen to movie reviews there. Um, I think we're doing Steve Jobs finally this week, so um, probably want to hear Dave and I argue about that movie because I know we will. Uh, that's at slash filmcast.com. And also, We Have Concerns at WeHaveConcerns.com. Uh, 20 minutes, three times a week uh, of uh, some funny and interesting science stuff. So check that out, WeHaveConcerns.com. Also, next week, the first week of November, uh, is my first week on the new show uh, we're well not new it's new for me uh tomorrow daily with uh ashley Squeda over at uh, cnet so um you'll hear me talk about that more but i'm i'm really excited to start that up and, and see yeah, the very cool mischief that she and i can get into uh talking about all kinds of geeky topics at uh, cnet um all right guys let's give the people something to chew on for the week with our parting gift hey give us a suggestion Bill, do you have a suggestion to fill their time?
2: I <laughs> ah, <laughs> see what I did there. I see, I see. Uh <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I have something. Uh so I've been uh how do you guys feel
0: about anime? You know, I used to love it and I I just haven't watched a lot of it in the last few years, but I used to be really into it.
2: Uh so I I've never actually been into anime. Um it's it's always been one of those like blind spots that I have in my my nerd credentials. Uh, So for the the past year, I've been trying to kind of slowly fix that, Um, watching some newer stuff, but also trying to go back and hit some of the older stuff. Um, One show that got recommended to me a lot, and I finally have gone back and started watching it, and I'm about 12 or 13 episodes in now, is Death Note.
0: Um, Yeah, I've heard good things about that as well.
2: Yeah, so this is a show where the concept is basically a demon from the demon world drops a notebook into the real world uh, in Tokyo. And um, a a human boy, a high school age boy, picks it up and realizes that this is a special notebook called the Death Note. And if he writes the name of anyone in it, they die. Whoa. And he decides, I'm going to become the person who decides whether everyone lives or dies. <laughs> Crazy. Um, and so it, it turns into this weird, incredible, like, it starts really slow. And it took about probably five episodes before I actually got into it but it turns into this incredible like psychological cat and mouse game between this high school age anti-hero who's decided he wants to be the the judge of life and death and and then another high school age uh, genius boy detective who is trying to catch this kill this whoever it is who's killing people um, and it's it's really fun i'm i'm enjoying it a lot how are you watching it Uh, so this is available actually so most of the stuff that I've been watching is on Crunchyroll Um, however Death Note is one of the handful of anime that is available in full on Netflix Uh, so if you have a Netflix subscription
0: um, you can go watch it right now awesome that's Death Note Uh, Christian how about you you got a parting gift
1: something literally for the people to chew on pumpkin spice lattes pumpkin spice this it's easy to roll our eyes and scoff at the proliferation of pumpkin spiciness this time of year that being said pumpkin bread y'all yes. it's so delicious so moist um i can send you my recipe if you're if you're so inclined i'm not going to sit here yes. and read i want a recipe. that
2: recipe i love pumpkin bread
1: okay i will uh i will send it to you later today <laughs> 100% it is delicious so easy to make you don't have to let pumpkin bread rise in the way you do a good um french bread or anything like that make some pumpkin bread Enjoy some pumpkin bread. Tis the season, not for the saying tis the season, but for pumpkin bread.
0: Wow, pumpkin bread. I don't, I'm trying to... Decide if I've ever had pumpkin bread. I am mean, going have ever to make
1: it. and give you pumpkin bread. Then. Oh,
0: that's the Phil, way I get you to make and give me pumpkin bread. Phil, I, I will not
1: make and give you pumpkin bread because I don't think it will be good. Please. <laughs> uh, surviving the mail, but I will I give really you. I really
2: want you to make
1: me some pumpkin bread. It's <laughs> not the same if it's not made by you. How about this? I will make you the recipe.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my uh, my um, parting gift is a movie that I saw. Called Victoria. This is a uh, a movie I saw in theaters. It may be difficult for everybody to to find it uh, because it's playing only at art house theaters right now. And I live in L.A., so I'm I'm fortunate that I get a lot of arty movies. So I'm not sure availability of Victoria. If it's playing in a theater near you, I would urge you to go see it. If it's if you have to wait till till it comes out on Netflix or whatever, just keep it in mind. Victoria, this is a movie you should not. Google, you should not know anything about it. I will tell you one thing about it that is sort of the the famous thing about it. It's all one take. The entire movie, it's two and a half hours long and it is one uninterrupted, unedited take. Beyond that, I urge you to go in completely blind because where it goes and what happens is so much better if you don't know what's coming, but it's an
1: incredible
0: feat what you what you're about to see when you watch this movie one take they really did it it's not like birdman birdman was done done as if it was in one take it was made to look like one take but it was digitally edited so that you you know seamlessly this is legit one camera one cameraman it takes place over multiple city blocks it is incredible and uh i i can't recommend it higher i it my wife and i saw it and we were blown away And the coolest thing is that where it starts and where it ends are very different and don't – most of the advertising for this movie spoils that turn. So don't see any – just watch it. Victoria. All right, guys. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Uh, Thank you to Phil Kohler and Christian Spicer. Thank you to Maggie and Dan and Hattie over at 5 by 5 for making our show possible. Thanks to all our folks in the chat room. You guys are awesome. Uh, hanging out with us, giving us content and discussion. It's great. If you guys want to participate in that chat room, we always record Mondays, 11 a.m. Pacific time over at five by five. So come hang out with us. Great group of people here that do it every week. Uh, But if you're just a downloaded listener, we love that too. Thank you very much for downloading. You can help us out by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or telling your friends about the show. That really helps us as well. Uh, We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world make it a better place all right this is jeff Kanata from the dlc podcast on five by five
3: and this is quentin smith on the shut up and sit down podcast from uh shut up and sit com.
0: and uh we i think we are members of the mutual admiration society right uh,
3: yeah absolutely uh this it's always fun to collaborate on anything uh, i have a deep Burgeoning respect for uh, you and everyone from LA, really. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm sure you're, you're. You're in LA as we speak, right? Uh no, I'm in Vancouver as we oh, speak. Oh, Vancouver yeah. like LA, but uh, with a lot more uh, of the herb. Uh, <laughs> a lot more green, everything, really. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah.
0: Nothing is green here.
3: Although there was a weird thing whereby. Um, uh, autumn now and all the trees with this beautiful shade of red and then you get one gust of wind and all the leaves fall off instantly at the same moment which isn't something i've seen before
0: i've never experienced
3: fall i don't
0: know what fall is i Uh, think i remember you saying this on we have concerns and that's just so weird (laughs) yeah we have summer and then slightly less summer that's the two seasons (laughs) that we have
3: okay so we're meeting today though to discuss pandemic legacy uh Yes. And this is going to be exciting because we're going to discuss spoilers. And, you know, me, shut, and coming from Shut Up and Sit Down, part of the board game community, there was an interesting thing where when Risk Legacy came out, no one mentioned spoilers for, like, two years, which yes. was fun and respectful. But you know what? Like, there's a lot of meat on those bones. There's a lot to discuss here if you've played the game. And I want to – and this this is going to go out to those people who have played the game or don't care about spoilers.
0: I feel like Pandemic Legacy is even more spoiler than risk was i feel like this this game tells an even more surprising story in my opinion
3: yeah uh i I gotta admit i didn't actually play risk legacy because i'm kind of opposed to risk and sort of missed the boat ah Uh, and at the time i couldn't justify playing a game 10 times because we had so much to review right um it was just too much of a commitment um but i heard there were Again, hey, spoilers for Risk Legacy as well, people. Really, you're in the wrong place if you
0: don't want to hear those.
3: Uh, there are alien races in that, and cities emerge from the sea, and right. all kinds of
0: stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so yeah, it, it, there are definitely huge spoilers that happen. I think Pandemic Legacy, again, if if you haven't played it, I think we both unilaterally would recommend playing this game. It's an amazing game. We
3: just published uh, our spoiler-free review on Shut Up and Sit Down, which involved me wearing the world's cheapest hazmat suit <laughs> I love uh, it. It, it just it, it didn't quite fit it was one size fits many and i'm very tall and so when i sat down it would kind of pull the th- suit back up over my forehead <laughs> um revealing uh, my forehead which is no good for uh, for anti-contamination but yes it, it's incredible and uh, actually i you know sort of pushed our review forward a bit because i saw you tweeting that it was like Or it was Peter Sierra, actually, maybe, that it was one of their best gaming experiences for years.
0: Yeah, yeah. He and I played it together with another friend of ours, Rezalaki. And the three of us, uh, we were going bananas because (laughs) we had been excited about the game, uh, you know, and and got together and decided to just marathon as many plays as we could. in one day we got together at 10 a.m. and we played until 10 p.m. We got about seven games played and we were sort of live tweeting and periscoping our way through it. Um, but yeah, so we both say, go play the game and don't, don't listen to the spoilers before you play the game, but we're going to talk complete spoilers <laughs> oh, he, because here we
3: go.
2: this
0: is the juicy conversation I've been wanting to have, right? Because as soon as you play this, you go, I want to talk about this with somebody.
3: Okay. So the very first thing I'm going to say, where in the world of Jeff Canata do you not want to go? Because i tell you what, you do not fucking go to Europe in the copy that I'm <laughs> playing
0: through with my girlfriend. For us, it's South America
3: oh really yes
0: south america is off limits (laughs) that's
3: awesome
0: mexico city is uh is patient zero town oh really yeah really
3: so yeah this is the let's let's work through it chronologically i should also say that we've only got up to june so i know that you're past me we've just unlocked the ability to raid equipment from the cdc and military bases
0: we're not that much farther We, we just hit july um and i think I remember reading on your uh, Twitter feed that you guys uh, won your first few games also. So did we, We I, and which is not like me for Pandemic. I rarely win a, just a regular base game of Pandemic. And we cruised through the first four or five games uh, without losing. But you've lost a game now, right? We've lost two in a row, yeah.
3: Oh, wow. So yeah. you didn't get the month bonus and everything. Uh, no. So, yeah, I mean, the thing that happens very early on that I want to discuss the most is um, – The fact that you get given your objective card, which is cure all four diseases. Mm -hmm. And one of the very first spoilers, and this is maybe the thing I'm not most in love with, but it's up there, is that you're halfway through the first mission. It goes, yeah, actually, there's no cure for the disease with the most cubes on the board. So deal with that. And you have to rip up the card. And it's like, and obviously, you know, halfway through the game, that's still something you're dealing with. You cannot cure one of the diseases, which is
0: so fundamental
3: to Pandemic and so great that they've just gone. No, no,
0: no. Yeah, it's a crazy moment. And it actually allowed us to win because that disease was like kicking our ass. And uh, we were like, oh, we can just ignore that now. That's awesome. Now we can win. But it is a crazy moment where it's like, okay, well, literally everything we know about pandemic in one moment is different. And and there's just such an excitement to that of, well, this game is really going to change all the rules. Uh, And then, you know, you start, in like a regular game of pandemic, you start with a, a certain number of of characters that you can play as. And the first time that a new character was introduced into the game was very exciting as well because yeah, that happens yeah. pretty early on. That's and the quarantine it, specialist, right? Yes. And the and the stack of cards that you're you know flipping through to find out what happens next, they're all they all look like regular cards. And they did this really clever thing where the the character card is larger than a than a standard card size, but they have it folded in half so it just fits yep. in the deck. And it conceals itself, and you realize, oh, I didn't see it coming. I didn't know there was going to be new characters because it was folded in half.
3: Yeah, there's nowhere in the board that you can hide new characters, but they right. but they managed it. Yeah, that's really cute. I almost don't know whether to share this, but I was in a game shop yesterday, and um, I was very aware of the first two Pandemic expansions. But the third one, which is, oh, God, I forget what it's called. It's, it's a green box, and mm. if people Google Pandemic and look for green, they'll see it. But some of the mechanics that took the top of my head off in Pandemic Legacy, and I'll only mention this briefly because it's not a very exciting point to make, but it's still one I should make, are actually just in the third expansion of um, for regular Pandemic. The the ability to quarantine stuff right. and the idea of a super bug that you cannot treat are both from the third Pandemic expansion. Yeah, so, I'm,
0: I'm with you. I hadn't played the third expansion either, so that was new to me as well.
3: Yeah, but I, yeah so that was, that was kind of a bummer. I did want to share that with people. Uh, however, that said, my God, just... Let's talk about box three. Let's just go straight to box three, because what happens there is you open up box three and coda, which is the disease you can't treat, uh, mutates again and people's skin goes a bit translucent and they basically get really aggressive and turn into the zombies from twenty eight days later.
0: It's in. It's an incredible moment opening that box and and having little zombie pieces that you now add to the board and replace the, the the cubes, the pandemic cubes, with zombie pieces, and you realize oh we've just changed genres. (laughs) <laughs> we are we are in a new genre of game it's an incredible experience
3: yeah and then when you get to June, like we were really rest- our first game that we lost was after the zombies were introduced uh the first full mission with them and we had cities falling and that's a thing i definitely want to get to later about how uh coder will grow in power and there's a sub-objective of trying to make sure it doesn't take over too many cities yeah um which is just a really weird puzzle um but, uh, yeah, the fact that when you first get equipment, it's like, okay, clearly you guys are in trouble.
0: Here are some grenades. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, it, it, it does this beautiful thing where it foreshadows that, and, and I completely missed it. But the military gets introduced before you know it's a zombie game, and there's you start being able to build military outposts in addition to scientific outposts.
3: aren't that useful, and I couldn't quite figure out what they were for.
0: yeah. Yeah, and then and then all, all of a sudden the zombies are there, and you're just like, "Oh, I get it." And it plays just like a a zombie movie where you, as the main character, are trying to figure out like, "Why is the military here? What <laughs> what what do the military have to do with anything?" And then all well, of a sudden you realize, "Oh my god, they knew! They knew!" <laughs>
3: Lee and I had a really fun thing with the relationships, um, whereby when the quarantine is introduced, I think the quarantine specialist is military focused. Yes, and only military specialists can fly between the military bases, and so. Uh, we gave my quarantine specialist. Oh no, it was the operations expert. Um, the operations expert was rivals with the scientist. So immediately we had a narrative whereby uh, you know the scientist was curing the diseases, and now the military are stepping in, and they're rivals, and they're oh they ah, hate so each other. So
0: cool. So Which cool. Was,
3: I mean, yeah, we've been creating some really fun uh, relationships. Have you got much play out of the sort of like family and friends and the idea of your family member going into a dangerous territory?
0: Well, we didn't really uh, make family members. Uh, we were we were we were rivals, we were coworkers. workers um, so we didn't have family members on our team, but I love that relationship thing. It's, it's a, such an interesting idea that even if you are adversarial, you can still it can still be a beneficial gameplay mechanic to you. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Now, I'm curious because you played it with two. We played it with three. Um, with three players, we still were just frantic about which roles to choose at the beginning of each new game i can only imagine having one fewer role to select you know as a part of your team what that decision was like
3: you know it's not that bad um actually with two i want to say it makes it potentially a little easier um purely because of uh, you get to use those abilities so very often like right. it's a more important decision but like for example if you're the medic and like every other turn in pandemic, you can walk around curing people like Jesus. And right. you know, cubes just fly off the board. That's huge. The fact that if you if half the turns are taken by a scientist who requires four of the five cards, mm-hmm. like that's massive as well. Yeah. Um and also you start with more cards in your hand if you're playing with two. So it wasn't too much of a problem, but certainly uh yes, the we've the mission we lost, I think we lost because we chose the roles badly. Yeah, that's is, the same this, with us. Yeah, I this, that same this is The interesting thing, like the um trying to figure out what kind of a game you're playing now. And so I should explain how CODA works uh, and Fallen Cities work as well for people who don't quite realize. So when you get the zombies, uh, there's this rule introduced whereby ordinarily cities in Pandemic are one of the four colors. They're red, blue, uh, yellow, uh, black. Um, However, when a city gets a zombie in it, which happens when uh, one of the Fallen Cities pops, um, it immediately changes color to green, which means more of the cards in the deck will be spawning zombies, which means more zombies will be spreading. And so it like it's not a specific objective of like oh hey you lose if fallen reaches this many cities, but you know it's going to be real bad. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't cure them, and right. so the idea that half the cities on the border producing uncurable bullshit
0: is uh, is is terrifying. Well, and then we made this we made this bad decision i think the first game we played with zombies we sort of just ignored them and tried to <laughs> accomplish other mission or you know other mission objectives. because yeah
3: none of the missions have anything to do with uh, zombies
0: yeah we're just like well let's focus on the the diseases we can handle and it, ignore the zombies and what we didn't realize and i'm worried now because we still have half of the plays to, to st- get through i'm worried that we let the zombies spread so far on the map that it's going <laughs> to be a a a problem going forward like we it's untenable at this point how, how much of our map have,
3: so it started in south america and africa how many cities are now
0: oh four? man they got they they got up into north america they <laughs> they have spread <laughs> one of them got to australia australia oh, fell no. real fast uh yeah it's uh, i don't know how they got there swimming i guess but
3: it <laughs> was one of them in a, in a boat in a
0: box yeah, yeah it it uh it was It's really bad, and you literally take stickers and you stick them over the color of the city on the map. So now it's just this sea of biohazard stickers over the entire left-hand side of the map, and we are looking forward because we – our last two games we, we played before we wrapped it up for the night. We lost both of them, and we're like, oh, God, this is <laughs> oh, so a trend. So you've only
3: played the one marathon, and you, your stamina began to run down.
0: I guess, or or we made some bad decisions. I'm worried about how it will mitigate that snowball effect, because it seems like the damage is done by, by basically ignoring them in that one game.
3: Well, roadblocks are interesting. That's yeah. another mechanic we should definitely talk about. So quarantine is a action that you unlock quite early on, whereby you place a little token. That city is under quarantine, and it means that when you would put zombies or cubes, any amount of them, you instead remove the quarantine token, mm-hmm. which can be huge. Um, roadblocks are far more interesting because they hinder you. And right. these are, again, one of those things that we unlocked. And I'm like, why would we ever do that? And then, mm-hmm. oh, maybe in this circumstance. And you, uh, you're trying to uh, analyze the game you're playing as well as just how to play it. So Roadblocks, if there's a military base in that region... You can just dump any number of roadblocks connected to the city you're in. Um, and that means that the disease will never travel over those roadblocks because there are soldiers with guns in the way. Right. However, you struggle to travel over them as well because you have to discard cards of the corresponding color to even get into that city. You have to have connections. Right. And it's funny because initially you work as doctors in Pandemic Legacy and there's this... <clears throat> I was just watching um, Winter on Fire, the amazing Netflix documentary about um, uh, the revolution they had in the Ukraine, which is An incredible piece of filmmaking, and I recommend everyone watch it. Hmm. But it has a scene with a doctor in that, and she says the hardest thing is deciding when to say people are dead. Um, And weirdly, we had a commenter, and I mean, this isn't an enormously thematic game. There's not much story in it, but we still had a commenter on Shut Up and Sit Down who said that he was in the UK when there's a norovirus outbreak, and every time he he was a doctor and when he went home, he had to destroy his clothes. Um, And so as a result, he can't play Pandemic Legacy. He doesn't really enjoy it. But wow. similarly, there is an awful decision you have to make in Pandemic Legacy, whereby let's put roadblocks in because we can't save this city anymore. Yeah, and yeah. Completely walling in a city is something you can do, and you never have to
0: worry about it for the rest of the game. Yeah, you can just sort of say, write it off. You know, you can just say that city's gone. It the, You've the zombies yeah. have it. You just given up? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's bad, and we've do, we've done that a couple yeah. of times. Yeah. And then I mean, there'll be right. one, there'll be one like one prong. Because you have to you have to be in a city to throw those down. And if you stay in a city when there's zombies in it, they can scar you or break your will, which is which is terrible. And the uh you, you gain these traits on your character card that are really damaging. They they can really mess up, you know, your ability to handle the rest of the game. So we were very scared of staying in a city and getting those those traits so we would Have we would you received a few at oh point? yes oh yes <laughs> oh yeah yeah we had a guy we one of the i think the general uh who can like go in to the he can pass through the um the, the roadblocks yeah without a hindrance uh we had him i, I played as him one game and we just said decided okay you guys worry about you know the viruses the actual diseases we can handle i as the general i'm just going to try to quell the zombie outbreak <laughs> and he just died he, he just really? got, got worked um but you know we're trying to we're trying to lay those robots blocks down in adjacent cities rather than in the actual city and invariably there would be one prong uh one exit out of the city that we couldn't get to and so of course the <laughs> zombies would you know funnel through that and just spread it was bad man it was bad that's
3: so funny like it's the thing that uh you know the manual there are no examples in the manual. In, all the legacy rules you introduce, so there's a very kind of legal way that new rules are introduced because they don't have very much space. And this I find interesting because with the roadblocks, it's it will say like place any number of roadblocks uh, adjacent to your city. You may place them and all, and it won't say you can wall yourself in, but you have to deduce. But that would leave me trapped.
0: Yeah, like,
3: <laughs> right. yeah, no, you can do that. That's fine. Right? That's
0: cool. Yeah, it, I find it to be very thematic. I I love the fact that it's telling this really cinematic zombie story over the course of multiple games and and i wonder very much where it's headed like there's got to be because we're only halfway through at this point there's got to be another couple of twists and turns
3: well i think it's very important that my prediction is that that um because it does very clearly make you mark city zero where the zombies came from right so i'm positive there's going to be a kind of you have to go in there type
0: thing and you have to drive halfway across the continent into your city zero i'm sure we'll at some point be able to find a cure for coda uh you know oh, yeah. and, and then and then be able to attack it head on and i'm I'm just so excited there's like two more big boxes of things to open at this point point. one of them um, will
3: include a giant zombie queen miniature i want
0: uh i want mechs that's what i want <laughs>
3: do i do i need to tell you how quickly after we unlocked the ability to give put an airstrike on a card we put that sticker on right that that was the first non-decision pandemic legacy gave us like (laughs) you can have an airstrike we're like yeah yeah put it on there definitely need that
0: um and then and then of course you know the box also says season one so i'm very (laughs) curious as to where, what the plan is for this
3: um, i mean i've seen the uh, the designers as well have been very self-conscious in their use of language around hope you have a good season and right. enjoy season one not enjoy pandemic legacy
0: yeah we so. were uh as i said we were you know sort of live tweeting our experience and, and, and being very cagey about it but um rob davio and i are t- twitter friends and uh, at one point when i opened box three and was like my mind is blown he said uh he tweeted me back uh and thus ends act one <laughs> which I love I love that he's thinking about the game in those terms like it, it really is a a storytelling device and I think that for me I love the fact that I'm creating this story I'm living this story and it, it really felt like a plot twist
3: yeah no it does and it's so um, it's so charming to think of yourself playing early levels and the mistakes you make and and uh, you know your own ignorance becomes entertaining and uh, your own surprise is, is great what was i gonna say um yeah no it's no i've completely blanked what a what a good game it is
0: <laughs> <laughs> it really is it really is i i am blown away by it i mean i loved pandemic pandemic is probably one of my top three or four uh co-op games ever anyway and to be able to sort of layer onto it in the way that this does uh is so exciting and yeah i i did definitely
3: remember that i was gonna say oh good uh on the subject of opening all the different packs, uh, my friend Steve Wolfart again, Twitter friend, I should say, um, Steve Wolfhart is playing through it uh, with his uh, partner as well, and um, he said that he's just about to go into December, and he's, like, close to tears, like, like in wow. a funny way, you know, like, but, and I said, oh, there are more twists to come after Box 3 then, and he was like, oh, yeah. Wow. So I think uh, the way that you eliminate Coda will be uh, will be interesting as well. And that's kind of the light that's guiding me, pushing me towards the end of the game.
0: Well, I would love to reconvene uh, when both of us have, have gotten through December, because I, I'd love to, to find out. And I think it's a cool discussion to have at the midpoint, and then go, you know, wh- where are we at the, at the end of this journey? Um, what a great idea, yeah. Uh,
3: especially because I think by the end of the game, our boards uh, and our characters will have changed even
0: more and probably our tactics as well yeah very much so yeah this has been awesome and again i love your show and i love talking to you about games um but i think uh people need to people need to play this game if you're listening to the spoilers without having played it shame on you (laughs) but
3: But, you know what we have only spoiled uh 50 of it exactly and i would pay this money even for Plus, your game is going to be different from mine and Jeff. You're going to make different mistakes. Yes. And maybe Hong Kong will be your doomsday city. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Rest assured, there will be a doomsday city. Uh, <laughs> it's just a matter of where, not if.
3: I'm just waiting for the sticker. Yeah.
0: yeah. But, all right. <laughs> awesome. Thank you
3: so much, so much, Jeff. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll reconvene in uh, in I guess a few weeks.
0: Sounds great. Awesome. All right. Take care, dude. You too, buddy.